This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who might have missed the sermon can catch it later. This was our final sermon of 2023 and also the final sermon of our Advent series, December 31st, 2023. At the end of this message, we played a song for a closing meditation. That song is not included here in this podcast to avoid any copyright issues. A link is in the episode notes, or you can find it on YouTube. Simply Google Savior We Are Messengers Lyrics Video. At the time of recording this podcast, the first result of that search was the same video we played in our service. Uh, today is our, obviously, is the last of our Advent messages, now that all the candles have been lit. Um, so today our theme is, as we wrap up, is uh, we'll be looking at, at Jesus as Savior. Um, most of us here have probably grown up in the church, and we recognize the Christian words uh, that we like to throw around like salvation, born again, justification, sanctification, uh, the gospel, and so forth. But if we had to write an essay or had to give an interview on what these words mean, Jesus is Savior, how well, how well would we do? If we had to explain who Jesus is and what um, Christmas is all about to someone who had never heard before, what exactly would we say? And how well would we be able to communicate <clears throat> this truth? Do we know why the Nativity, um, which is a series that, that we have, have used uh, in, for our Advent and basing these messages off of from Dr. David uh, Jeremiah, um, would, would we understand that? And we know what it means. Do we know what it means when we hear Jesus is Savior? I think, I think we do, but I think it's also good to stop and think about it for a little bit. So that's what we want to do here this morning. What does it mean that Jesus is a Savior, our Savior? In the summer of 2001, um, I learned an important life lesson. Um, I only remember that, uh, that it was that year. I'm terrible with dates, but I only remember that because Benjamin was about to be born. Um, or we had just found out that... Um, he, Kyla was pregnant with him, and so during all this, all this happened, and that's the only reason I remember. This scene, no, this yes, during the summer. Okay, sorry, I had to think a minute uh, when that was. So yes, the summer of two thousand one, I learned an important life lesson. Um, Farmers Catch, which is a division of Southern States, it's the, they had a um, an aquaculture division. Uh, they called our office and they asked us if we would be interested in plumbing two buildings that would be used to grow uh, fish, uh, tilapia. And uh, so my uncle went out and he met with a representative from the company and, and with the Blessing family uh, there from Houston uh, that would own this operation that was, was having this built. And uh, so they gave him a packet of information. Uh, it, was, it was pretty thick. Um, and they explained the scope of work to him uh, that we would need to do. And he came back to the office and that afternoon he handed me the packet and he said, I think this is probably something a lot bigger than we want to, to take on. Uh, 
Um, but if you're interested and you think that we can handle it, uh, then take a look at this information and 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 see what see what you think, and then we'll decide from there. The packet had it had some prints, some blueprints in it. It had detailed instructions, and it had pictures. And when I looked at when I looked at it and started going through it, I was a little bit overwhelmed to say the least. Each building had 12, 10 to 12,000 gallon tanks, I think they were, and they came in 10 large pieces. And uh, they had a, along the flanges on the sides, they had bolts about that far, I think they were like half inch stainless steel bolts. And we would have to put washers on them and nuts on them and thread them and tighten them and put these big, huge tanks together and obviously they weren't allowed to leak. Um, and, and so, I mean, this 24 of these things, um, each, each of these tanks would hold about 10,000 fish. And the system had pumps, it had sumps, it had oxygen lines and drum screens and air grids and scrubbers and air to heat exchangers and media and all kinds of, of things that I had never heard of before. I, it, I was a little blown away. And as I kept studying it and, and looking at the pictures, I'd, I'd look at it and I'd get a little overwhelmed and I'd set it aside for a few days and I'd look at it again and, and I'd say, man, maybe Marlon's right. And this went on for a week or so and they, they were wanting an answer of whether or not we would, we would do the project or not. But as I kept studying it and looking at the pictures and stuff, I began to realize it wasn't quite as complicated as what it looked like at first. Um, there were four separate systems in each house and each, in each building, which consisted of three fish tanks, a filter, a tank full of these plastic honeycomb looking things where, where bacteria would grow on. There was a heater and a set of pumps that would circulate the water back to some fiberglass boxes and then they would dump the water back into the fish tank. And so we bid the job and, and the rest is history. And it was during this project that Nathan decided it'd be much better to deal with teenagers and teach them history than to, to work for me. <laughs> I, Nathan, I remember you drilling a hole out through that side, and I remember you had a time with it. And I, was, <laughs> I remember, why did I make Nathan do that? <laughs> he probably decided right then, it's probably about broke his wrist trying to do it. <laughs> that might not be such a good idea. But... Uh, but if, there's, if there was time today, and if anybody was actually really interested, I, I could explain the entire operation to you now, even though this was 20 years ago. Maybe not all the technical data, um, but I could give you a pretty good overview of what each part was and, and how it worked. But in order to do all that, I had to study that packet. I had to break it down uh, and, and to simplify it, because at first I was overwhelmed, but the more I looked at it, and begin to understand it a little bit, ask some questions, it really wasn't that complicated. I had never worked with 12-inch pipe and all that stuff before, but it, it was just a little bit bigger than the pipes I was used to working with. It, it really wasn't that complicated. So I had to break it down and simplify it. I had to get an overview uh, of it and the details, both. I had to have the big picture and the details as well. And I had to get over my fear of being overwhelmed. But I also had to go do the job. I had to be there and to do it. I had to live it. I had to live it out. 
And I had to listen to the supervisors from Farmer's Catch who had, who had built these things before and had done these guys. And I had to hire guys like Nathan and, and I had, uh, I can't remember who all helped me, but I had a bunch of other guys that, that helped with it as well. And so we started, it was interesting, we started between Christmas and New Year uh, back in 21 that week. Um, and I think it took me until August of the following year. I'd never, most of my jobs, if I go to the same job two or three days in a row, that's kind of uncommon, but I went there every day for nine or ten months or so. So why the long story to introduce today's sermon? Well, we have a packet that explains why explains to us why Jesus is Savior. And it can be very overwhelming, right? But when we break it down and we learn the basic details, and then we learn some of the finer points, and as we live it out, and as we learn from others who have lived by this manual um, and have studied it as well, and when we enlist the help of others, Hopefully then we begin to understand and we begin to share with others why Jesus is a Savior. And I believe that this packet is the basis on which we're able to build our lives on because I believe it is God's word to us. And if I'm wrong on that point, then everything today I say is basically rubbish. But I stake my life and I stake my eternity on its truth. Yes, it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to believe that this is God's word to us. But it has proven itself true for thousands of years. So today is going to be a big picture day. We're going to look at the overview. We're going to step back and and try and get the basics and not focus on the details so much uh, right now in order to help us better understand why we need a Savior and how Jesus was the only one that could fill that role. So the first page of our packet tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 and 2 tells how God spoke the universe into existence, and when he was done, he declared that it was good. He created Adam in his own image and breathed life into him, and then he created Eve from Adam. He planted a beautiful garden for them to live in and to tend to, where he would come and he would fellowship with them. Everything was perfect. There was no death, no tears, no discord, no disunity. It was heaven on earth. Stop and think about that for just a second. What was it like to live in a sinless world? I I don't... I don't think I can even quite fathom that. There was no worry. There was no fear. There was perfect unity with everything. So when we think about that, what is that then? What can we learn about God from that? What does that tell us about God? To me, it shows us his wisdom in designing a perfect world. It shows us his power in speaking it into existence and having the ability to create life from nothing, and giving it a body and a spirit and a soul that would then live for eternity. It also shows us his love for creating this for us and for then fellowshipping with us in that. And even though it's impossible for us to fully grasp the fullness of who God is, 
I think it's extremely important uh, for us to realize that God is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's all-righteous, all-loving, because the rest of this story that we're going to talk about today hinges on these truths. As the creator of the universe and the author of life, God has the authority to call the shots and to make the rules. And in providing everything for Adam and Eve there, God gave them just one stipulation. He gave them all these things, all this good, all this this perfect life, yet he gave them one stipulation because as God of the universe, that was his right, that was his, his job. Which was, of course, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And if they did, then death would be the punishment. But you know the story. Adam and Eve decided that everything that God had given them was not enough. And they rebelled and they ate from the tree and introduced both spiritual and physical death into the world. And as a result, because of his justice and because of his holiness, God had to punish them. He could not turn a blind eye to sin because then he would no longer be holy if he did. So as he expelled Adam and Eve um, from the garden and cursed the ground and cursed the serpent, he also, in his love and in his compassion, he introduced a plan that he already had in place to redeem them and to restore them and to restore the broken relationship between a holy God and sinful people. So life outside of the garden then was very different than what it was before. <clears throat> they now had to feed themselves. They could no longer trust one another. I mean, that, that started right away. As soon as Adam and Eve ate, and as soon as God came and confronted them, it was finger-pointing and blame. It's, it's not my fault, it's their fault. And that, that unity, that, that perfection was gone. They couldn't trust each other and they were jealous. Cain murdered, murdered Abel and their descendants grew more and more wicked. They no longer were able to walk and talk with God in the cool of the evening as they used to do. Sin had ruined everything, yet they still had hope because God had promised a Savior. So generations came and went and the people continued to rebel. We read of these stories throughout all the, the entire Old Testament of how God continued to carry out his plan by calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and promising them land and many descendants and that the Savior that he had promised to Adam and Eve would come from their family. All the stories in the Old Testament have the common theme of humanity's sin and God's promise of redemption. All the history, the law, the poetry and the prophets point to God sending a Savior to restore their broken relationship. And so this went on for generations, for centuries, until one day an angel appeared to Mary and told her that the time had finally come, that she was pregnant with God, with the Savior, that, that through a miracle, God himself was miraculously planted into, placed into her womb, and she would give birth to him. And she and Joseph, her husband, would raise him to be a man. man. So we focused on the story of Jesus' birth over the last month or so. 
We celebrated this past week of God becoming man and dwelling among us. But that is just another part of the story. It's just one page in the packet. The picture is much bigger than just a miraculous birth, than the miraculous birth of Jesus. He grew to be a man. He lived a sinless life. He was completely perfect, just as God had intended us to be. Satan's temptations could not distract him, though. And as you know, around the age of 30, he began ministering to those around him. He taught God's truth. He performed miracles. He told them he was the one that God, the Father, had promised thousands of years ago to Adam and Eve. The hope that would restore the broken relationship between a, religious, between a righteous God and sinful man. But because of the situation that the Jewish people found themselves in, they didn't recognize him as God. They, they believed that by keeping the law, they could earn God's forgiveness. They were not looking for a spiritual savior. They were looking for a political one that would deliver them from the Romans. And so as you know, the religious leaders called him a blasphemer, and they crucified him on the cross. Satan thought that he had defeated God when he tricked Eve into disobedience back in the garden. And he thought he had done it again when Jesus died that day. But twice he was wrong. Remember, God had said that the punishment for sin was death. And after they had sinned, he had also promised a Savior. In God's wisdom and in his love, he provided a perfect human with no sin to die in the place of you and I. I couldn't die for your sin because I have already sinned. I needed someone to die for me. And Jesus made it perfectly clear that no one could have their relationship restored without God except through, accept, except through accepting Him as the only sacrifice, the only ransom for our sins. The story still was not complete, though. Just as Jesus had promised three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was God and that he was the Savior. But even then, his work was not complete. Humanity was not back to where it was in the garden. Satan was still on the prowl, and we were still, as humanity, was still sinning. And before he returned to heaven, Jesus promised his disciples, he reminded his disciples of a promise that he had made before his death about sending the Holy Spirit to live inside of them, to help them remember the things that he had taught them, and to help him, them live out the lives that he had called them to. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost a few weeks later. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside each believer. And in the coming months and years, the Spirit continued to work as God breathed His Word into the writers of the Gospels and the Epistles. He gave the apostles the power to perform miracles, which authenticated the words that they spoke. He revealed to them that salvation and forgiveness was not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And so the good news of Jesus began to spread, and churches were planted all over. But even in all of this, Jesus' work was still not complete. People still sinned, and earth was not like the garden. But again, God renewed his promise to fully restore those who place their hope and belief in Jesus as Savior. 
and they received the forgiveness of their sins by giving the, the Apostle John a vision of things to come in the book of Revelation. Last week, Jeremy read uh, part of Revelation 21, and I'd like to read it again uh, here this morning so that we can see what it is that Jesus as Savior will finally accomplish. Verses 1 to 6 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write down, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. One day in the future, those who trust Christ's work and have been forgiven will live in heaven and will experience um, what it is that we just read from, from Revelation. And that's going to be a place that's even better than the garden. Satan is, and his followers will be cast into eternal judgment and all will be made perfect and right all because Jesus is Savior. And so I ask you again, how do you answer the question? What does that mean that Jesus is Savior? This is how I answer it. Long ago in eternity past, God looked forward into the future and he saw me. And he saw my sin, he saw my filth, and he saw that I was spiritually dead and separated from himself. He knew that there was no hope for me because dead cannot fix itself. He knew that none of my family, none of my friends could save me because they were dead as well. And so in his love, in his holiness, and in his compassion and mercy, he devised a perfect plan that could take me from, from death and put me into life where I could be adopted into his family and would become a child of the king with a future and an inheritance that would last for eternity. And in spite of my past sins and in spite of the sin that I have yet to commit, God so loved me that he sent his one and only son to die in my place. And if I believe in him, believe that he was God and that his sacrifice is sufficient, then he will restore my relationship with himself and make me alive again. This past summer, um, Doug found a bluegrass version of, of Amazing Grace, um, and he texted it to me, and he was talking to me about it a little bit later, and he said, uh, he said, you know, I never really liked that song. It was, it was too churchy for me, I think is how he, how he put it, but he didn't, he didn't like it, but he said, but he said, you know what it says? He said, it says Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And, and he was excited to learn 
that that's what that song was. And it, it was his new favorite song there for a while. But when we, when we learn about Jesus as Savior, that's, that's what we receive. We realize who we are when we get the big picture. And we realize what it is that God has done. So he was excited a little, to learn a little bit more about grace and about Jesus as Savior through that song. So if anyone wants more information about the fish farm, I'd be happy to go into further detail. Um, but I would much rather talk to you about Jesus as Savior. Um, I encourage you, if you've never understood salvation or, or have not accepted Jesus' free gift, of eternal life, then don't leave here today uh, without talking to me or to Jeremy or, or someone else. Um, it's, it's not difficult. It's really quite simple. If you have accepted him as Savior, I hope that you, through this this morning, have come to appreciate that amazing grace just a little bit more, that the sound of it is a little more sweeter. And if so, then praise him and thank him for it. And finally, make sure that you tell others the good news as well. Let them see the joy that radiates from you because you know that one day all will be made right and you will have eternity enjoy it, to enjoy it because God became man, lived a sinless life, died on a cross in our place and then rose again on the third day as our Savior. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from December 31st, 2023. At this point in our service, we played a song for a time of meditation. A link to that song is available in the episode notes. Or, Google Savior, We Are Messengers, Lyrics, Video. Take care.